the Cincinnati Daily Commercial. I'm Murray Halstead. And I'm Gwendolyn Richards. And this is your Queen City Bulletin for April 29th, 1861. The troops at Camp Harrison are still supplied with rations at a cost to the state of 60 cents a day for each man. The contracts for furnishing food were made by Commissary General George Runyon of this city without inviting proposals from our citizens. And now that the governor is convinced that the contract is a swindle and had telegraphed to the commissary general to annul it, the contractors, Handy and Brother, claim the sacredness of contracts and that come what will, the state must pay them 60 cents per ration as long as there is a man in Camp Harrison. It is very well known that the very best rations can be furnished soldiers at 25 cents. We are informed indeed that the United States commissary would furnish the United States troops with the best soldiers' rations at 18 cents per day per man. And we know that persons at Dayton and other places are bidding for the job of subsisting troops with number one rations at 30 cents per diem, and that they aver they can make money at it. Here in the Northwest, which is full of the necessities of life, close by Cincinnati, which contains vast storehouses of food, besides a first-class railroad and furnishing facilities for transportation, rations could be furnished at 20 cents and an honest man's wages made in the business. In police court... John Podesta, an Italian vendor of oranges and other fruit, was sorely offended by a soldier who passed his stand, picked up an orange, and walked off with it. John insisted on payment, and the soldier picked up a coconut, and said he would take that for the language used by John, which he did. John had him arrested, and while he was in custody, attacked him, for which John was also arrested. Both were fined. A young man in court said it must have been a Mussina orange. He fainted immediately, and the tip staff brought him to by fanning him with a cabbage leaf. Next on the docket, Mr. DeBall was brought up and fined $20 in costs for an assault made upon John Cavanaugh in a gambling house, number 9th 4th Street, on the 1st of February last. The particulars were published at that time. And John Cooney was charged with a stealing flower, was acquitted, but committed 20 days for disorderly conduct. And now a dispatch from Camp Harrison. Captain Granger and the medical staff were busy as bees all Saturday with the inspection and mustering into the service of the United States of the Guthrie Gray's Regiment. They rejected 103 men for physical inability and gave permission for an increase of the regimental numbers, which is the occasion of a call for 250 recruits. There can be no doubt but that the number will be made up very soon from the non-accepted companies. While speaking of the Guthrie's, we may remark, though it is scarcely necessary to do so, that the Private Anderson, who was court-martialed for drawing a knife upon one of the mechanics, is not William F. Anderson of Company A. Saturday night gave the troops a taste of the unpleasant features of soldiers' life. The winds blew and rains descended in some of their tents, like the house that was built upon the sand, fell. At midnight, the greys were called to brace their tents and to right up the hospital which had been thrown down. It was a disagreeable night, but the men have the compliments of the general for bearing it without a grumble. Yesterday forenoon at the camp, the Reverend Mr. Thompson celebrated divine worship according to the ritual of the Episcopal Church. In the evening, the Reverend Mr. Chidlaw preached. The influx of visitors during the day was beyond all precedent. The road was literally crowded with every manner of conveyance above the dignity of a wheelbarrow. It was worse than the United States Fair, for then the cars offered some relief. But yesterday, there was nothing to ameliorate the slaughter of horse flesh. From early morn till late in the dusk of evening, the human tide ebbed and flowed to and from the campground. The road in front of the camp was filled with settlers, who washed the dusty throats of weary travelers with homeopathic glasses of lager, and the reddest of all red eyes. 
As may be expected, this so demoralizes the camp that General Bates, who took command on Saturday, has issued an order to permit no person whatever to pass the guards without special permit. Those having friends or relatives will find no difficulty in getting permission from headquarters to pass the guards, but all promiscuous visiting of curious spectators, which encumbers the guards and interferes with the discipline of the men, will be prohibited. The post-surgeon, Dr. Greenleaf, has had erected a comfortable hospital for the use of the Guthrie Grays Regiment. It is a model of neatness, comfort, and good order. He reports a few cases of diarrhea. Yesterday morning, General Bates issued an order to the officer of the day for the capture of all spirits brought into the camp. In consequence of this, the hospital stores were increased considerably. We believe McCook's regiment is still allowed its supply of lager, and certainly they deserve their accustomed beverage, for a more sober and well-behaved corps cannot be desired. In local matters, at the commercial hospital during the week ending the 27th, 36 patients were admitted, 42 discharged, 6 died, and there were 191 remaining, including 24 in the smallpox ward. The steamer Glendale from Memphis yesterday brought 400 passengers. The Hastings also came in from St. Louis, thronged with people. The Neptune is also due from Memphis, with a large number of passengers. All who can possibly get away are leaving Memphis and other southern cities. Elsewhere on the river, we are credibly informed that during several nights of the past week, boats have been seen crossing the Ohio in the neighborhood of Pleasant Run. Signal lights were seen on the hills, and loaded wagons were also seen in the neighborhood. Are articles of contraband being smuggled out of the city? We have received from a citizen of Louisville, a Kentuckian by birth, a letter of which the following is an extract. Let me again be and beseech of the loyal citizens of Cincinnati, not to allow further supplies or provisions, flour and grain, to come into this city. For depend upon it. If they do, it will never stop until it reaches the granaries and warehouses of the so-called Southern Confederacy. General Pillow of Tennessee purchased in this market within the last three or four days $100,000 worth of provisions for the troops of that state to be raised by a call of the legislature now in session, which, in my opinion, ere they close their labors, will plunge the state into the fathomless abuse of secession. I regret the construction placed upon contraband articles of war by your governor to be sent to any state so long as the same profess attachment to the Union. He certainly could not have known the painful fact that we were selling the very articles at exorbitant profit, fast as received, to our rebellious brothers of the disloyal states. If such facts had been placed before him, I have charity enough to believe his patriotism and love of country would have changed his views and advised the withholding of all provisional supplies from this market, unless the authorities of Kentucky would guarantee the same should not be sold and transported to the people of this great rebellion. Our readers will recollect that we chronicled last week the ascension from our city of Professor T.S.C. Lowe in his new balloon for an experimental trip across the continent. Since that time, we published a dispatch from the adventurous aeronaut, dated at Columbia, the capital of South Carolina, saying that he would arrive here via Louisville in a day or two. He arrived yesterday and reports that he had a most pleasant and favorable trip of 1,200 miles, which he traversed in about nine hours, having left Cincinnati at half past 3 a.m. Saturday morning and descended at Greenville near Columbia, South Carolina at 1 o'clock p.m. of the same day. Tune in tomorrow for a special dispatch from the professor himself. Today's show is brought to you by Radway's Remedies. Farewell, calomel, blue pill, quinine. Farewell, opium, chloroform, and alcohol. Radway's Remedies combine all that is required for the purgation, purification, regulation, invigoration, and harmonization of all the organs of the human body. 
Radway's Ready Relief, taken as a preventative, fortifies the frame against the influences of bad air, bad water, damp, sudden changes of temperature, and every species of infection. It calms the throes of agony as oil stills the waves. Taken at the first outset of any disease, it cures alone. Administered later, it suspends the disorder and affords an opportunity for the other remedies to exercise their benign influence. Every parent should keep a supply of Radway's Ready Relief constantly in the house. It not only cures but will ward off attacks of fever and ague, croup, influenza, sore throat, smallpox, scarlet fever, typhoid fever, and other malignant diseases. And in cases of rheumatism, neuralgia, cramp, spasms, pain, aches, and other infirmities, on application of Ready Relief externally, or a teaspoonful in a little water as a drink, will stop the most excruciating pain in from 5 to 15 minutes. In severe attacks of croup diphtheria or sore throat plague, Radway's Ready Relief will always save life and quickly cure that patient. For worms, there is no medication so quick as a dose of Radway's Ready Relief. Radway's remedies are sold by druggists everywhere. In amusements, the season at the Palace Garden closes tonight with a benefit to its clever and enterprising manager, Abe Palmer, whose managerial tact and skill entitle him to the popular title of the Barnum of the West. The garden will be closed Tuesday and Wednesday evenings to undergo repairs. She will start her summer cruise on Thursday evening with clean decks, full sail, a competent crew, and a staunch commander. Boys, do your duty tonight and make the benefit a rouser. On Saturday evening, a young woman named Sarah Wagner procured half an ounce of laudanum, drank it, and entered a saloon on Fifth Street, as she said, to die. It was soon discovered what she had taken, and doctors Edmondson and Billings were called in, who rendered such efficient aid that on Sunday morning it was thought she might recover, though her case was then critical. Destitution and domestic troubles were assigned as the cause. After consultation with the governor, and upon recommendation of the executive and military authorities, the Ohio State Senate on Saturday reconsidered the vote by which the 10-regiment bill was passed, and the bill was then amended so as to authorize the governor to call into the service the 17 regiments of troops. The amended bill went to the House, and that body went into secret session, when a message from the governor was read, stating the propriety and necessity for increasing the military power of the state. It met with opposition on the ground of the expensiveness of the military arm, and the bill was laid over until Monday. It seems to be supposed in official quarters that the West, probably Ohio, may be made a theater of war, and that it is prudent to make the best possible preparations for it. We are not advised concerning the information upon which the executive's recommendation is based, but the fact that this government is in a state of war and that the best policy is to provide for it in the most vigorous manner possible suggests to us that this is no time to economize on a small scale. A dollar saved now on the Pennywise principle may ultimately cost thousands of dollars and lives. It is a long time since we have been called upon to record so lamentable an accident as that which occurred yesterday forenoon to young Edward Woodward, the son of Dr. Woodward, number 118 West 6th Street. The young man, who is but 17 years old, was showing a fine pistol to some young ladies who were in his father's parlor, and explaining to them its mechanism when it accidentally exploded, shooting him in the middle of the forehead. At a late hour last evening, he was still alive, and some hopes were entertained of his recovery. And finally, a beautiful black female dog strayed away Wednesday last. She has tan color on her feet and about the nose. She's very small and exceedingly symmetrical in shape. Five dollars reward will be paid for its return to the commercial office. 
Well, that's quite a generous reward. I could buy a, a whole year's supply of Radway's remedies for that. Murray, that stuff is poison and will definitely kill you. Oh, are we still recording? For the Cincinnati Daily Commercial, I'm Murray Halstead. And I'm Gwendolyn Richards. And this has been your Queen City Bulletin. Mm -hmm.